And we're going to be diving into the third part of our series this morning, Total Quality Leadership Part 3. How many of you remember watching those like The Wolfman, right? When you were growing up, and then it was, you know, the wife of the wolfman, then the son of the wolf. That's kind of where we are at this point, you know, the third cousin of the wolfman in this series. So I'm excited about what we're going to be looking at this morning. I have a question for you before we embark on our journey through the scriptures. What's your favorite company and why? You've probably never been asked that question unless you're in the corporate market. Mike might deal with that a lot because he's an investment guy. And uh, he often asks me, you know, what companies would you invest in? He doesn't often ask me. He's asked me that twice in my entire life that I've known him. But what companies would you invest in and why? So how many of you uh, would be big on, let's say, like Tesla? You guys like Tesla? Yeah. Fantastic. Some of you, what is a Tesla? Didn't that guy die? What happened? Okay, so some of you are, maybe you're big EA sports people, right? You like, you like the whole video game things. Yeah, I'm getting some no. I don't, I don't even know what that is. Um, how many of you are like into the whole Martha Stewart thing? Um, no, none of you? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm more inclined to like Chick-fil-A, you know? Anything to do with food. Um, I, I love those kinds of companies. And uh, so... When I mention some companies, I want to watch the expression on your face. So when I say Google, wow, you guys should play poker because you're really good at this. So how many of you are fearful of Google and the impending abilities of, yes, look, our, our IT guy is raising his hand. You need to know of this, this fear that should be spreading the land. Do you know they're building a, a secret building right in the middle of the bay somewhere? They say it's a barge, but they've got a bunch of tarps over it. Who knows what's going on, really? Uh, so if I were to ask about Enron. Well, that got a response. That's pretty good. Um, now, if I were to ask a lot of you this week versus, say, four weeks ago about what, what is my favorite company, Apple, yeah, yeah, there's a, uh, I still see a few thumbs up about Apple. Uh, when you think of a company, the challenge for us this morning is to think in retrospect to why are those companies successful? What's the bottom line? What separates those companies that have succeeded versus the companies that have crashed and burned? I would say it comes down to two things. Number one, the quality of what they're providing, right? Their content. And then I'd say the second thing, and probably just as valuable, is their leadership. Their leadership. When I said Enron... The reason that you all laughed wasn't because of what they were providing. It was because of what? Because of their leadership. Companies come and go. And we see some companies succeed. Why did Ford succeed so well when Chrysler and other companies needed a bailout? I don't know if some of you would say product. Some of you who hate Ford would say absolutely not product. I would dare say it has to do a lot with leadership and how they organize themselves. Uh, there was a recent thing that, that just shows the demise of our culture and our society. A, uh, a little 
unknown indie band named U2 um, released their new album for free on Apple. And you know what the cool thing to do is? Is to bash them for giving their music absolutely free. That's, that's kind of the thing that's going on out there. You know, how horrible they are for giving out free music. It is amazing how certain decisions can be perceived, and yet society, how they rail against those decisions. What are the markers of quality leadership? Part of that is how long a company is around. The health of the company. So when we look at the contrast between a company and a church, run that same filter through and ask yourself, what is the health of the leadership? I would say some of that is directly related to the duration of the church and how long the church lasts. I had the blessed opportunity the first time I went over to visit our missionaries in England, the Johnsons. Uh, when I went through London, I routed through London I, overnight, and I grabbed a cab real quickly before I had to fly out, and I went to Metro Tabernacle uh, Church uh, in, in London, the church of uh, Charles Hayden Spurgeon. And I remember kind of sneaking in the back door. They didn't actually have the church open, but you could go to their gift shop and buy a lot of things. And uh, so I went to the gift shop, and then I kind of wandered maybe, maybe into some areas that maybe the, uh, the Spirit just led me there. And so as I'm walking around, I noticed a board that they had put up, and it showed the attendance and the, the uh, circular, circuitous attendance of that church throughout the years since its inception. And it was amazing how when you had someone like Spurgeon, there was a height of attendance at that church. The person who followed Spurgeon, the numbers plummeted. And that's not always connected to leadership. But it is an amazing thing to watch how some churches are doing really well and certainly seem to have the Lord's hand of anointing on them. And some churches are struggling and some churches don't survive. I just read today 1,500 churches um, a week close worldwide. Why is that happening? Why is that happening? So this morning, let's look at this. Let's break this down. We're going to, uh, we're going to move fast. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each point because they're pretty self-explanatory points. Uh, but let's, let's read the passage. We're in verses 7 through 9. And it says this, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but a hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This morning as we move through, we're going to start, number one, with God's steward. We've already talked and defined what overseer means. That this is this position of elder. It can mean someone who's older in their life. Presbyteros is that term that means someone who's just older in age. But this word overseer is the word episkopos. It's someone who has been put in position to oversee and to shepherd the church. 
And so Paul is saying, Timothy or Titus, I need you to establish quality leaders over these new churches that we've pulled together. So he uses this terminology, which I'm not sure that we find anywhere else in the New Testament. So that's what caught my eye. So we're going to focus on this word, God's steward, this morning. Why did Paul use this terminology? God's steward. I don't normally think of the word steward. I don't, it's not in my vernacular very often. We have our one flight attendant not here today, so I feel the luxury of saying, how many of you remember the days when we called them stewards? Yeah. How many of you uh, have ever gone somewhere and you're at a hotel and suddenly a gentleman grabs your bag and starts walking away with it? I remember the, you know, when I grew up and we actually went to hotels and I was in charge of things, uh, uh, my wife and I were actually up here in the Bay Area for our last hotel for our honeymoon. And I remember the guy had one of those jackets with all the brass buttons, you know, pretty fancy stuff. And he grabbed our bags and just started putting them on a cart. And, and I was a little nervous about that. I'm thinking, okay, you got all my stuff. And, and they said, go on up to your room. We'll bring your bags up. And I wasn't comfortable. Have you ever lost a bag? Yeah. This guy's in charge of everything I've got. How many of us have grabbed certain things off that cart because we don't trust? Right? Now, you can have the clothes, but I, you know, I've got my passports. I've got my money. I've got my pictures. You know, everything's right here. I got my computer. It's staying with me. The steward is an important word. It's an important emphasis that Paul is trying to make here. So we're going to focus on this real briefly out of verse 7. I'm going to break it down into three ideas. Number one, God has entrusted the care of his people into the hands of the elder. So God's church is filled with His people. Those whom He calls to Himself. Therefore, someone needs to care over them. Go to the picture of, out of the book of Psalms, the idea of the shepherd watching over the sheep. Psalm 72, verse 70 is one of my favorite verses. It says that, and I'll just paraphrase it for you, that, that God pulled David out of the sheep pens and placed him over Israel to shepherd His people. And then the following verse says, He did so with skillful hands and with integrity. He was a good steward. He took care of what God had given him to watch over with integrity and with skillful hands. So this idea of the elder is someone who is acting on behalf of God to take care of what God has entrusted him with. It's not just a job. It's not just a title. There's an immense amount of spiritual responsibility that goes with this. Secondly, the employer requires excellence from his employee. Let's go back to this corporate idea. And we're going to be bouncing off of this, uh, this idea throughout the message today. Maybe we can relate to this out of our own jobs. How good of a steward is your manager over your product? How many of you have better ideas of how to handle your company than your boss does? One person raised their hand. That's good. We didn't have the camera turned towards you, Sam, so nobody will ever know that Sam Bedro said that. The employer requires excellence from his employee. God requires excellence from his steward. There's no mediocrity that is allowed here. That's why when we talked about establishing elders, when you have some small churches and you don't have 
individuals as of yet that can magnify, that can exemplify and have these qualities, then you don't have elders. You don't just establish elders for the sake of establishing elders. You have to have the quality there. And so if it's not there, you train those individuals up. And I really want you to hear that aspect because there are those in this room that could serve as elders of this church and yet you need to grow in your understanding. You need to grow in your uh, efforts of living within the Spirit, letting the Word dictate your life so that you are prepared. Because I don't plan on living much past, you know, this coming World Series. Okay. Because I'm going to be so elated I'll just die and go to heaven. That's what it'll be like for me. Thirdly, the cargo is precious to Christ. The cargo is precious to Him. Therefore, the job description is impossible. How many of you, as of yet, as we've gone through three weeks of this now, well, two and a half, have been looking at these qualities and you're just shaking your head saying, who wants that job? That pressure is immense. Can I just share with you that I'm not sure I would be who I am spiritually. As a matter of fact, I can assure you, I would not be who I am spiritually if I didn't have that pressure. It's called accountability. It's called desiring for God to use you and therefore you have to relinquish self. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Because I think of who I would be without that accountability. Without the dependency upon my employer. I would not be an employee worthy to be a steward if I did not have that accountability. So it's been a good thing. A great thing. But yes, the job description is impossible. The great thing is, is that your employer knows that. And your employer, while he holds these expectations, these are like your monthly sales goals. You know, how many of you have uh, bosses that set impossible sale goals? And you're just not going to reach them. Probably they're setting those so you hit here. Right? This is the realized expectation in our spiritual life my friends we can maybe hit here through our own effort here's the beauty of what it means to be god's steward it means that you rely on god you rely on the word and the power of the word you rely on the power of the holy spirit second peter chapter one we memorized it a a couple years ago that we get to be partakers of that divine nature and because of that romans 8 we walk in the spirit and our life is much more powerful then we can make happen. There's a beauty in seeing something through God's hands work through you. And I would never assume that by my own power, or our elders would never assume by their own power, that they can do this. Because we can't. We can't. I was just thinking this morning about a mentor of mine who chose not to live within the power of his employer. He chose to hold his complaints. He chose to try to do it in his own power. And he fell. And he fell mightily. And I remember, even though I didn't attend this church uh, long after he fell mightily, he was still holding on to his sin. And so the church, from uh, on a particular night, decided to address it as it needed to be. Because it was so egregious that it was ruining the community. Not just families. It was ruining the community. That's how far the sin had gone. 
And so I forced myself to go to that service and listen. So as brutal and as sorrowful as, as that service was, I specifically went so it would have an impact upon myself so that I would desire never to end up in that position. My desire is to be a steward that pleases His Master. This is what it means to be an elder. So, he goes on to describe the job description of the faithful steward. So let's look at it, shall we? Since we said it's impossible, let's just give a, let's give a short run-through uh, of what Paul says. Number one, he says what it isn't. We'll start with arrogant. Alright? He says it isn't arrogant. And I'm just going to give you a synonym. Most of these are pretty self-standing. You're not going to get too confused here. But maybe another way of saying this is prideful. That the elder cannot be prideful. Jesus was constantly at battle with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, right? Why? Because of their pride. And He called them out for it. My friends, where we have elders, pastors, bishops, whatever it would be, that see themselves as more important than the flock, that begins to be the demise of that church. There is no room for pride. You cannot live within the job description of a faithful steward. You cannot serve God faithfully in this capacity and do well if it's all about you. It will not work. You will quit or you will fail. So, arrogance is not in the job description. Quick-tempered. How many of you run into a pastor that's quick-tempered? Oh, you're all holding your hands. Well done. Thank you. Appreciate that. There are times where I can be quick-tempered. I was just sharing with Sam that on the day of his wedding, I was doing that ceremony and I had lost my tablet. And every part of that ceremony was on my tablet. And it had not gotten backed up. And this was three hours before the ceremony. I was in a panic. I was literally, I've never hyperventilated in my life. But if you were one of my neighbors, you would start to wonder, what church does that guy go to? Because I was running around my front yard. I was in my car. I was slamming doors. I was talking to myself. I was, I was crying. I was laughing. I was hysterical. I was all over the place. And I was invoking the name of God in a righteous way multiple times every minute. I don't know that it was necessarily the fact that I was quick-tempered. Because this idea is being a hothead. Have you ever met a pastor that's a hothead? Youth pastors are notorious for this. Just have them play sports. And you'll find out. Uh, uh, every year, where, 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 whether I was at a camp or I was you know, at some gathering somewhere, you could always tell the uber-competitive youth pastor. And uh, uh, you have to be careful. Because you can destroy somebody with your hot-headedness. You can be that individual that loses their... Remember, we talked about credibility versus fallibility last week. Through one simple moment, you can lose it. But we also talked about the fact that these are, these are things that would be characterizations of who you are. Because Peter was a hothead on certain situations, wasn't he? And yet God established him as the rock of the church. So what do you do with that? It says, you know, you, you can't be quick-tempered. I think Peter was more impulsive than he was quick-tempered. The hothead is the one that you walk gingerly and carefully around. That you live in fear of that person. 
Are there churches where that's the way they feel about some of their elders? Or they feel that way about their pastor? My friends, there are boards, there are elder boards who are fearful of their own pastors. That is no way to be a steward of God's church. Can't be a drunkard. So what's this mean? Well, this is the theological way to say it. No buzz is a good buzz. All right? Now, there's a wide variety of opinions on this, folks. Have you ever grown up in a church or you, you, you had the teaching that, you know, if you're an elder, you cannot drink. You cannot touch alcohol at all. I grew up in that church. A couple of you. Um, I don't believe that that's what this is saying. It literally is saying being addicted to much wine. And there are many who probably we have heard want to dither about what was meant by wine. Folks, if, if you just look, if you use your common sense, sometimes we throw common sense out with theology because we have our own personal agenda drive our theology. It's pretty simple. That you have to be clear-headed as an elder. You can't take time off from that. You need to be clear-headed. So that at any point in time, you're prepared for a defense of the gospel, you're prepared to present the gospel, you're prepared to take care of your sheep, Remember David who handled the flock with skillful hands and with integrity, right? David takes a little afternoon off with a Bartle and James and, uh, and the bear comes. I don't know if David's fully prepared to handle all that. See what I'm saying? So, the way that I see this when he says not a drunkard, it's this idea that we just don't want to get our cognitive ability uh, or cognitive abilities to be hampered, to be distorted. I don't believe that what he's saying here is because he also encourages Timothy um, as he gives instructions to Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach because often the water was bad. The water was contaminated. Next. Violent. This literally means a brawler. Have you guys ever met a brawler? Somebody who just enjoys the sense of being physical with people? We, we, this has flooded our media uh, over the past two to three weeks. There's violence everywhere. And God is saying, my man, my steward, cannot be a brawler. Because that is not the message that I bring that is not how you shepherd people. That is not how you approach people. And the church has a lot of, pardon the expression, but a lot of blood on their hands going back in history. Because the church often, and you can think through some of these time periods, these eras where the leadership within the church, when they couldn't get the people to respond the way that they wanted, they would pressure the people and much of what we hear today about forcing people to convert or we kill you, the church itself has some of that history. And that's a shame on the church leadership. And that's why the church became impotent for decades or for centuries. We cannot be brawlers as leaders or God's stewards. Next. Samuel, I'm locked out. And I don't know why. So I'm just going to keep going on. The last one is greedy for gain. 
which means driven by the dollar. And this is a criticism by the world upon our own people, right? That they see what when they think of pastors? They see pastors on the TV. They see, uh, what, what is this new show? Hollywood Pastors or something? L.A. Pastors? And all these pastors are driving around in, in really expensive cars like Honda Elements. Right? I remember listening to a certain broadcasting network where an individual was being criticized for his overindulgence in materialism because he drove a certain vehicle. And what was interesting is the hosts turned to him in great sympathy because he said, I'm going to sell... I'm trying not to do the accent. Um, I'm going to sell my car because I don't want any confusion out there. And they came alongside him, and I dare say that it felt very scripted. They came alongside him and said, no, 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 no. We had a Honda once too. It's okay. We, had a, we used to drive Hondas. But you know, when God provides you a quality vehicle, you need to be excited about that. And see it as a gift from God. Folks, I'm not railing on people who have nice cars. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this individual brought on a lot of criticism to themselves. And then they tried to say it was for practical reasons. Folks, my Honda will outdrive a lot of $100,000 cars. And I'll save a lot of money on maintenance. I won't look as good. I won't be as important driving in my Honda Element. But may I just assure you that this issue of being greedy for gain, driven by the dollar, there's a reason that people need to see a humility from God's steward. Because when they follow that steward, they need to be able to relate to that steward as well. It's important. So that's what the job isn't. Let's look at what the job is. So what the job is, is hospitable. And what does he mean by hospitable? We've heard some of this, and unfortunately for myself, I hear a lot of criticism in this area, that elders don't have people over to their homes enough. Because the Bible says that elders are supposed to be hospitable. And I really want to go to that elder's house, and I want to get a free meal, because that elder's wife really cooks great. Well, yes, it does mean that, but it means a whole lot more. And what I want to do is I want to take your mind, I want to take your thoughts on this, and I want to take you to a road called the Damascus Road. I want to take you to this idea of... um, Actually, I'm sorry, it's not even the Damascus Road. It's a road that comes up through the Wadi Kelt, and it's a road that uh, uh, is associated with the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want you to think about what happened with the Good Samaritan and the teaching that came out of that about loving your neighbor. He who loves me loves his neighbor. And so, folks, this isn't just... If you really want to define hospitality, it's the issue of reaching out to those around you who are in need. And it may include bringing them into your house, which is what happened with the Good Samaritan or Ananias, right, with with Saul um, going into Paul. He was asked to go take care of him at at a great cost. It is the idea of sharing what you have to care for those around you. It's not always just associated with having someone over for lunch. So the person that is going to be God's steward, part of that job description is what? Being hospitable. They need to be hot. Whoops, I'm going too fast because 
This is all up here now. Secondly, a lover of good. And so we know what good is. That's pretty easy. It's this idea of righteousness. Those things that that God has established as good. I want to focus on the adjective. If my grammar is correct, lover of good. Lover is an adjective. Let's focus on that. What does this mean? It means a pursuer. What you love, you pursue. You are here this morning because you love God, and so you are pursuing God as an act of worship. You are taking notes in this message right now so that you can learn, so that you can adjust, so you can pursue God in a greater way. Being a pursuer of what is good should be what a a steward of God's people exemplifies. It's not enough just to do good. Here's the separation, right? Because you can have a person that, and you know these people, right? I'm just going to do the status quo. Because if I do the status quo, I'm not going to slip up. I'm not going to mess. Folks, that's not a pursuer, right? A pursuer is one who is in a constant state of movement towards the goal. So the individual who is God's steward over his people needs to be one who is in movement, in process, pursuing that which is righteous, that which is good. Never satisfied with the status quo. Next, self-controlled. Now, why did I put this? And now, how many of you have um, a different word there? Like maybe sensible. All right, because this gets a little interesting because... The last quality that's down here is discipline, but some of you are going to have self-controlled under discipline. So I need to clarify exactly what's being stated, what Paul's exactly saying here. The best way I can say this is under self-controlled, it's like uh, uh, a good quarterback. Let's just use, give me a quarterback name that you guys think is a good quarterback. Drew Brees. Drew Brees, I would, I would concur with you. And, and a way that you can evaluate a good quarterback is their quarterback what? Rating. Well, this is great. we got input from all over the place. Their quarterback rating has to do with the amount of attempts versus the amount of completions. Much of the time when a quarterback does not complete the ball, it's because he throws into what? Bad coverage. Heavy coverage. Why would a quarterback throw into heavy coverage? Isn't his goal, isn't his objective to go ahead and complete the pass and move forward? Pursuer of good, right? I would dare say there's one reason. Well, there's two. One, they could just really be a bad, bad quarterback. But secondly, he has pressure coming. He has pressure coming. Or maybe his arrogance or his pride tells him, have you, ever, have you ever followed a quarterback like this, that their pride says, I can slip it into double coverage. I'm that good. I can make that happen. And they have this incredible high interception rate. And when they're interviewed afterwards, they just keep saying, I'd make that pass again. Nine out of ten times, I'll make that pass. That's just the one time I didn't. You see, God's steward if he's going to do his job well, has to be sensible. They have to make good decisions. And when you find out that you make good decisions is when you're under what? Pressure. That's what makes a great quarterback. Is that he could see 
that that route is double covered by the safety. But that's where he's been focusing. And he can feel the pressure. Maybe coming from the weak side, maybe coming up the middle. But if he lets go of that ball, it's probably going to be incomplete or intercepted. So he does what? He checks down to his second option. Sometimes he checks down to his third option. He makes good decisions. Sensible decisions. Next is that he's upright. What does this mean? He's just and fair. That's what Paul's speaking about specifically, is that he's just and fair. There are those that whether, you know, what the job isn't, right? Arrogance or pride. If you enter into being a steward for God and you enter into it with your own pride, your own agenda, this is going to reflect here. This is the antithesis. But if you use God's standard, if you use God's character, and you use the Holy Spirit and the Scripture to shape and influence decisions and counsel, what's going to happen? You're going to be seen as just and fair. Now the amazing thing is this, is that most people say, well, that elder or that pastor is very just when they see how they handle decisions within the church. And sometimes even when they see how they shepherd God's people. And sometimes when they even have to rebuke an individual who's living in bad sin and making really bad sinful choices. But it's amazing how that attitude changes when it's that individual. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever noticed that? That suddenly that person is unjust. That person is not fair. Folks, I would say that the determining factor there is that when sin is confronted, it is like David protecting his sheep from the bear and the lion. Do you get it? Now, David could have just said, well, it's not very fair for me to hit that lion. He's an animal too, and he has rights. Some pastors do that. Or I may not be able to handle that, and so, you know, I don't want to feel the recompense. I don't want the lion coming after me. Better the sheep than me. That's not fair and just, is it? You see, this requirement requires courage. It requires a greater fear of God than it requires of oneself, one's attitudes, one's ego, or the accolades of the people. Next, holy. What does he mean by holy? The best way for me to put this is simply reflection of God's will. They need to reflect God's will. They need to be a simple representation of God's will, living out in front of you. This job sounding more and more impossible all the time, right? And then disciplined. This is the idea of focused. God's servant, God's steward, has to be one who is constantly focused and on the ball. Not lazy. Not prone to indecision. Not seen as an individual who has the inability to make crucial decisions at crucial times. But because of their focus, because of their understanding, they have a greater scope of knowledge of all that goes into decisions than the individual that's just kind of the casual voter walking in and saying, oh, you know, I may not have all the information, but this is just how I feel about it. You see, the steward, God's steward, the elder, has to be focused and do due diligence so they make just and fair decisions. Lastly, this is what separates 
the deacons from the elders. A lot of those requirements are on deacons as well. But here's where we get into what separates elders and deacons. It's the idea of extensive human resources, right? Extensive human resources. Some of you have experience with human resources and you deal with it. And and, and human resources brings this expectation and understanding and idea that this is how we operate. This is how we do things in this company. So the way that we know how we operate in the church is through the scriptures. That's it. It's not really open to a lot of interpretation. How we practice that in faith can be open a little bit here and there, but it has to be subject to the actual handbook, the scriptures. So number one, God's steward, God's elder, has to know and understand the employee handbook. Have you ever gone into a a, a meeting with HR and they really didn't understand what the benefit package was? Make you a little nervous? Well, you know, we're kind of in transition on that. And, you know, I'm sure something's coming. It'd be great. Folks, that can't fly when it comes to the dependency and the quality of spiritual leadership. You've got to know and understand the book. And there are moments where, because of the depth and brevity of Scripture, I'm not going to know everything. I know that's shocking. But I'm not going to know everything. But I will do my best to present different views, different understandings, Sometimes what I think the Word is saying, but to my best of my ability and to the best of my knowledge, I will present to you what I believe God is saying, not what I'm saying. I'll stick to the handbook the best that I can. They're responsible to help others know and understand the employee handbook. In other words, they've got to teach the book. They've got to do the training sessions. This is a requirement in the job description for God's steward, God's elder. All right. So it is our responsibility, Hanny, Brad, Mike, myself, to be able to help you understand and know what God's handbook is saying for you. We have to, as Paul says to Timothy, rightly divide the word of truth. Guard over our doctrine. Make sure that what we're teaching is for the edification of the people and is correct. Lastly, he has to reference the employee handbook when needed for misconduct. Did you see that in there? You're saying, well, Pastor, where, where was that? Well, let's go back and look because I really want to emphasize this point. It says this, <clears throat> He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. And so, we're all for Scripture a lot of the times, as long as it's convenient. And one of the great leaders of the 20th and 21st century coined the phrase, the inconvenient truth. Sometimes, folks, what we just read out of Scripture is an inconvenient truth. But understand, get that picture of David as the shepherd again, God's steward over his sheep. I've listened, I've been in the Holy Land, and I've watched a shepherd with sheep. And I've watched the sheep try to run away from the shepherd. And I've watched the shepherd go after that sheep who was going to make a really bad choice and wander right out in traffic. And at first, the shepherd is calling to the sheep. Sheep ignores him. Then the shepherd gets a, a staff and starts trying to push the sheep. And some of the sheep respond to that and get out of the road. But there's always that one stubborn sheep 
He just wanders right out in the middle of traffic. And at that point, a good shepherd goes out and stops the traffic at his own risk. And sometimes that shepherd takes his stick and really hits the sheep to get out of the road. Sheep don't like to be hit. We as God's adopted children don't like to be hit. And we'll like to go somewhere where we don't get hit. Can I just encourage you, eventually, we're probably going to get hit by something much larger and much more destructive, if that's the case. So God's steward has to be able to reference the employee handbook when needed for misconduct. Let me leave you with this salient thought as we wrap up on the idea of total quality leadership. Your church, like any company, will only be as strong as its product and its leadership. If one or the other is missing, it's likely your company or your church will be too. Eventually. And I want you to think and contemplate. You have two choices there. Check mark one. You want to be a Cretan or you want to be... What's the other choice? Yeah. Let me read to you what's at stake. It's found in Judges chapter 2. If we don't have quality leadership, this is what happens to the people. If you don't have quality software that stays where you set it, you have these long pauses that are inconvenient. It's the death of Joshua. And starting in verse 7, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Oh, there's that word, elders. Who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him with the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Okay, so Joshua passed away. By the way, under Joshua, the nation of Israel was killing it. I mean, they just had an expansion program that was fantastic. They inherited the land, the promised land. And God was their God, and they were doing some great things in establishing the Canaan land. Oh, but then there's this verse. After Joshua, this great leader, this is what happened. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. This is a line of demarcation from this point. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, they go from worst to I'm first to worst. Israel, because of what? What, what hints? What's, what, what comes out of that? What smacks out of it? It's not so much the generation that didn't know anything. You know, normally we would bl- place the blame on them. It was the generation just prior who was not committed to training up the next generation. 
who failed to share this job description, who failed to exalt and say how important and how crucial this is. By the way, let me just share with you, it is important that you not just see this impossible job description for elders or God's steward. While classically it is, it's something that we can all strive towards because we know that that is good and that is righteous. And that helps us draw near to God and makes us a powerful tool for His work here on earth. This morning, as we focus on total quality management as we're leaving, again, remember, it is so crucial that your leadership be focused on Christ. And that they don't try to live by this job description in their own power because they'll crash and burn like some of my mentors have. But that they simply enter into a covenant with the Lord of being His servant. Let Him do the building. Let Him do the supply. Let Him do the management and trust in Him. Look for leaders that trust in God and ask God to do the work within the people through them and not by their own agenda. Let me close in prayer. Father, it is to Your glory that we see the church rising up. I pray over the different leaders within churches worldwide. I pray for protection I ask that they would constantly be pursuers of good, seeking after You, living in humility, trusting in You, Lord. Those who are able to make good, snap decisions in the midst of panic. Father, raise up within our church the next generation of leaders so that we are not a church that simply dies off as this current generation is gathered to You. Let us each contemplate what responsibility we have and what we can take and what we can um, let You do through Your Holy Spirit in our lives in context to what we've learned this morning. To Your glory, Father, <clears throat> we trust You completely and we seek to live our lives in light of Your grace. Amen.